0: blaze on demand this is ben weingarten of the blaze books and today i'm joined by nationally syndicated radio host dennis prager author of several books including his newest title the ten commandments still the best moral code dennis thanks so much for joining me it's great to be with you so there's been a lot of talk lately about the historical relationship between israel and the united states and how it seems that there's been a fundamental transformation of of that relationship. And when the mainstream media talks about it, they always look back to 1948 as the start of this history. In reality, our system is based upon Judeo-Christian principles that are timeless and really start, to a degree, with the Ten Commandments. What do you make of that statement?
1: The United States is the first and probably only self-understood country that's a judeo-christian country the founders were christian not all affirmed just to be we have to be uh, utterly truthful not all affirmed all christian doctrine there's no question about that but all were christian whatever they affirmed in terms of theology they were christians and they were all rooted in the Jewish scriptures, in the Hebrew scriptures, Old Testament, whatever term you wish to use. That's why something that is known to almost no Jew or Christian in the United States, there is only one inscription, one thing inscribed, other than the maker of the bell, on the Liberty Bell, which is the iconic symbol of the American Revolution, and that is a verse from the Hebrew Bible, or as Jews call that part of the Bible, the Torah. It's from the book of Leviticus. We shall proclaim liberty throughout the lands to all their inhabitants. They were steeped in it. So, so so steeped in the Old Testament and in the Hebrew Scriptures. Jefferson and Franklin, this is critical. Jefferson and Franklin, who were called erroneously deists, they actually designed a seal of the United States, the Great Seal. And it was the Jews leaving Egypt. One could see that on the Internet. It's phenomenal. You had to learn Hebrew at most universities to get a bachelor's degree. To get an undergraduate degree, you had to learn Hebrew. So this country was steeped in, it it, it is the classically Judeo-Christian country. And the moral code that uh, underpins all of it is the Ten Commandments. And my case in this book is to explain each of the ten and show why they are utterly relevant and people don't understand them. The, the, the biggest example I'm sorry for going on so long I'll, I'll try to be briefer on your next question No, not at all. But uh, uh, I'll give you an example. Uh, people don't know that the commandment is do not murder not do not kill. That's huge because if it said do not kill we'd have to be vegetarian we'd have to be pacifists but Hebrew like English has a different word for kill and for murder Murder is immoral killing. There is moral killing. That's one of the examples. I try in each of the commandments to show something profound that people have missed.
0: Why do we need the Ten Commandments today more than ever? In other words, why this book
1: at this time in world history? There was an article in the New York Times. It's like almost the New York Times. I don't think they realize what they published because it undermines so much of what they actually stand for, but fine, they published it. It was recent, and it was by a professor of uh, ethics or philosophy at some college. And he said he's horrified, I'm paraphrasing, he's horrified to learn that American students, young people, don't believe in moral truth. Now, this guy's totally secular. He didn't even connect the dots. There is no moral truth if there is no God basis for ethics. There's only moral opinion. So he said, there's only moral opinion. Kids don't, don't know that you know there really is moral truth, but of course he didn't say where it comes from. So he, But at least he acknowledged there's an entire, at least two generations of Americans that do not believe that murder is wrong, except as a matter of opinion. It, it's really in the category of, uh, I, I like uh, the BMW and you like Mercedes. That's what it is. I like I like not murdering, you like murdering, but there's no way to choose. I have done this with Jewish students for decades who have said, of course I think the Nazis were wrong, but hey, the Nazis thought they were right. So, there's no way to judge.
0: Yeah, and that article was all, as you say, it kind of undermines all of everything the New York Times prints. It's about, it's about well, moral relativity. Well, it
1: undermined everything the guy who wrote it thinks. He didn't once mention, well, if there is moral truth, then it has to come from something transcendent.
0: And this, of course, not only pervades the New York Times, it pervades our foreign policy, it pervades our regulations, it pervades every element of society. So if we could banish moral relativism, do you think that society would fix
1: itself overnight? Well, there is no overnight fix, but uh, the question is, can you put Humpty Dumpty back together again? The left has uh, damaged the American Revolution. It, it, it doesn't like the American Revolution's values. And as I put it, the American Trinity. Christianity has a trinity, of course, Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost, the Holy Spirit, and uh, Jews even have a trinity. Judaism has Father, Son, and the... Uh, excuse me, Father, Son, excuse me. Judaism has a God, Torah, and Israel. There are a lot of uh, trinities in life. The uh, the, uh, the university has a trinity race, gender, and class. So uh, America has a trinity and it's on every coin. Liberty and God we trust, e pluribus unum. Uh, The left, uh, since the French Revolution, has preferred equality to liberty. It has uh, preferred uh, a godless nation to one based on God and it prefers multiculturalism to e pluribus unum. And they're winning. You
0: write in this book that the second commandment is perhaps the mother of all the commandments. The second commandment being, Thou shalt have no gods before me. And it's funny, you talk about the, the French values. Well, you know, they don't hold God as preeminent, there is no transcendent moral basis for it. So, why is the second commandment so
1: important of all of them? Yeah, that's that, not only is that the case, but it's, it's the least understood because I would say most people today would say that's the one if they had to pick a commandment that is completely irrelevant that's the one they pick. After all who's bowing down to stones? Actually if you'd watch the way people kiss the Academy Award when they win it and all the statues of the of the Oscar, I, I think you could make a case that we do have uh, false calves, Well, well, golden yes. yes, golden calves exactly. But uh, it, does, it doesn't say only do not have gods of stone. It says don't have false gods. And because anything else will lead you astray. The, the revolution of the Ten Commandments is God is most preoccupied with how we treat our fellow human being. There are no commandments on how to treat God. Think about that. I took you out of Egypt. That's how it begins, right? I took you out of Egypt. Now do the following. So you think, hey, you owe me. I want you to bring X number of sacrifices. I would like you to do the following ritual. Nothing. There isn't a hint of what you can do for me. It's all about what you can do ultimately for your fellow human being. So if you drop me, you're going to end up worshiping false stuff. And when you think about it, look, the um, the Nazis worshipped race. Look! Look! Look at the evil that was done. The the Japanese worshipped the emperor, or the state. Look at what happened there. The communists uh, worshipped, well, a whole host of things, but, you know, uh, equality, though ultimately being, you know, their their religion. So you know, it was comrade Stalin. Equal poverty and misery Yes, equal, exactly, and the gulag, everybody's. Equal. And this, this is identifying false God. Look, as I, as I write in there, this, this will, this will, challenge, look, the, the, the book is meant to challenge everybody because the Ten Commandments challenges everybody. I think love can be a, uh, a false God. Uh, the, uh, love is beautiful, but anything that is made an end in, unto itself is a false God. God is the only end. God and goodness, to be precise. Anything that has made an end unto itself is a god. That's that's what God means an end unto itself and So you you can have you know look the the, again The the, uh, the German regime loved the state right they loved something Everybody loves something so you have to love in and of itself doesn't tell you anything Oh love God with all your heart with all your soul. That's that's fine Love love goodness. That's great. But it depends what the love is. That's why I can't stand the, um, the when when my fellow religionists and whom I often adore will say God is love. That that's not true. God is a lot of things. How about God is justice? I'll tell you it's something we we could use a hell of a lot more. God is justice than God is love messages today. I would, I I think it's infinitely more important that people feel judged by God than that they just feel loved by God. Because if you just feel loved, then you feel, hey, I have a license to do what I want. Not everybody does. There are people who say, God loves me, therefore I'll be good. I know that. But you can also do anything. Oh, God loves me. Uh, I, I don't trust people. Therefore, I want people to believe God is watching everything I do, and I will have to answer for it. If the, if the pilot of German wings felt, you know what, I'm going to have to answer to God for taking 149 people into a mountain, he wouldn't have done it. When you say
0: God is justice, it's interesting. You look at the world today, and it's just a conflagration convog- of totalitarianism, hatred, genocidal Jew hatred, Christian hatred in the Middle East. Um, are we sort of getting our comeuppance, at Western civilization itself, in all of the horrible things that are starting to build up in the world?
1: Well, it's it's worse than that, actually. I don't know if it's a comeuppance, but the reason I say it's worse is that the, the intellectual elite of our time don't even recognize how anti-Western our enemies are. Look, if the President of the United States cannot have a conference on Islamic terror, but calls it a... Uh, what did he call it? Violent extremism. Violent extremism. I, I, I mean, can you imagine during World War II a conference convened by President Roosevelt on violent extremism, but not on Nazism or Japanese fascism? He, he would have been laughed out of the country, including by Democrats. we have really sunk. We also didn't have a war on the Blitzkrieg, or a war on That's Kamikaze. Correct. That's correct, <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> Well, it's even worse. You're not even allowed a war on terror, so we wouldn't even have. We wouldn't. We haven't gone that far now under this president.
0: Let's transition to something a little bit happier than that. Uh, One of the passages. That's by
1: the way. That's very. uh, That's admirable of you if you can do that. the 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 news is so awful, the world is so crumbling that if you can transition to something happier, you're my man. (laughs) Well, we'll go back to the uh,
0: depressing stuff a little bit later on, but one passage that really struck me in your book that I wanted to emphasize was, you write, and I quote, every time you keep the Sabbath, you are affirming that there is a creator, that the world didn't just happen, that life isn't some meaningless coincidence, but that it is infinitely meaningful, and therefore each of us has a unique significance and purpose, unquote. And it's interesting because this is something that Runs from Judaism through the Aristotelian view that man should pursue purposeful action and that that's what makes you happy, pursuing your
1: whatever path you should be on. What do you make of that? The this is a very interesting uh, uh, commandment, the one to observe the Sabbath. I think I make a, a powerful case for it because uh, my uh, my Christian friends. And that's that's not a line. they are they are the bulk of my friends, and I I believe without evangelicals uh, the country is doomed. They're the last best hope. So I just want to put that put this in context. I asked them, and I asked I ask Catholics. Uh, is a Christian bound to this commandment? And I have to say that I have, over the course of 30 years, gotten a 50-50 response. 50%, and it's not predictable. Completely unpredictable. Uh, whether it's Catholic or Evangelical or non-Evangelical Protestant, uh, I, I have no uh, way of knowing prior to asking the question what that Christian will answer. There are Christians who feel that it is not uh, mandated and there are Christians who say it's in the Ten Commandments. Of course, it's mandated. But I think after reading the book, uh, every uh, well, every is a little large. Most Christians who are serious Christians will wish to observe the Sabbath in some way, because it is exactly what you quoted. Uh, you know, I haven't changed my mind since that <laughs> quote. But it is. I haven't. I don't know how much time we have. I have a great anecdote. So. Fire say? away! Okay. Fire away. So I was uh, when I was a junior at college, I studied in England, University of Leeds in England, and uh, God has shown His countenance upon me because I was supposed to share a flat, apartment, with a, a British student, and I, I, I like I'm a very social guy. I I talk to every stranger I meet, but I like to have my own room. So, to my great good fortune, this guy lived with his girlfriend the entire year. He did not sleep in the flat one. So, I had the biggest flat in the apartment complex to myself. One day on Saturday, because it's my Sabbath, so I, you know, I wasn't shopping and I wasn't working. So, I was actually, I was lying on the bed, you know, fully clothed on top of my bed. I wasn't in bed. I was on bed. And I was reading a book. And he walks in. It apparently, the pick up some clothing or do laundry. And so he looks at me and he goes, hey, hello, Dennis, uh, are you sick? Which is a totally logical thing to ask. The guy's lying down in the middle of the day. Is he sick? I said, no, I'm not sick. I'm, it's just my Sabbath. So I'm resting. And he goes, Sabbath? You believe in God? I said, yes, in fact, I do. Now, I I knew very little about him, but I knew he was a physics major, so that was relevant here. So, continuing with the incredulity in his voice, he goes, God? Well, then, what's God? Knowing he was a physics major, I came up with the following answer. Oh, God is the only absolute in the universe of relativity. And there was silence, and he goes, "Eh." In other words, I actually had a multisyllabic or polysyllabic answer for him because the assumption is that you're for your religious ear a varying state of retardation, <laughs> and uh, so I, uh, I, I at that moment I realized, oh my God, I lived out the commandment because it says, you know, you will by doing this. By publicly observing the Sabbath, you are affirming that God created the world. And by golly, here I was with this modern pagan (laughs) and affirming that God created the world. It was was an awesome moment in my religious development. Let's jump
0: to another commandment, the, the sixth commandment. You talk about in the book that being
1: a perverted commandment today, in effect, in society. Well, it's the, the definition is perverted in, in, in terms of people thinking, see, people thinking that it's kill, not murder, and so people who were against capital punishment, people who were against all wars, people who were against killing and self-defense, people who were against killing animals, cite this commandment, and I, I don't fully blame them, because it says do not kill in the King James Version, but in the 17th century, kill meant slay, which was what we call murder. But the Hebrew is murder, not kill. There are two distinct Hebrew words for it. And as I said earlier, uh, murder is immoral killing. If you don't acknowledge that there is moral killing, this you have a broken moral compass. Did, did, the, did the, the soldiers who liberated Europe, were they, were they from the Nazis, were they not engaged in moral killing? liberating uh, Asians from the, the, the Japanese mass torturers, the people who created the rape centers for Korean women? That was not moral killing? What are you sick? You're sick in the mind and in the heart and in the soul if you don't believe that there is moral killing. Uh, I, I'm, I, I'm angry at these people because they don't, they clearly don't care about evil. Women are tied up and, and then used by Japanese soldiers like rag dolls, and, and you can't kill those soldiers? What the hell is wrong with you? And then to cite the Ten Commandments,
0: it's sickening. Well, and incidentally, look at our America's rules of engagement today, and that same kind of thinking pervades our armed forces when it comes
1: to dealing with jihadists. You mean in the notion of uh, you can't shoot until you're shot at? Yeah. It, It's suicidal. I think it's the first army in history under that rule. Well, what are you supposed to do? Play chess until then? Look, don't, you know, I I have to watch myself because the deterioration under this president, and the reason by the way, this is not part of the book, obviously, the book is not political, but uh, people, uh, I get this periodically as a talk show host, I get an email, Oh, Dennis, he's a Muslim. He's not a Muslim. He's a leftist. I don't understand why people don't get it. This is not complex. He's a leftist. Just tell me, is the New York Times editorial page Muslim? Of course not. Is there anything they differ with in the president? No. So what, what, why do people have to make up things that are irrelevant? Well,
0: again, we'll jump to the pressing stuff in, in one
1: second. But I will ask one more question related to the book specifically. by the way, if I may just say for a moment, uh, this is a, this book is short. It's the shortest book I ever wrote. And uh, it's, it's critically important because if we don't show the staggeringly great relevance of, uh, of biblical morality, we're doomed. We have to, this is the best way to live a life, the Ten Commandments. If people live by it, you wouldn't have to lock your doors. Women could walk 3 a.m. in any neighborhood. The world, you wouldn't need anything else. You wouldn't need laws, practically. The Ten Commandments is enough. And that, that's why I, I, I really pray that people uh, people read it and, and watch the uh, DVD that accompanies it and see my courses on it on Prager University. Incidentally, it may, it may impress people to tell them, I don't get a penny from this book. It's the first time I, book. half of it uh, is to the publisher, who deserves credit. They did a great job regnery And half of it is to Prager University. I'm not getting 10 cents, but I, I, I don't care. I mean, I care because I'm not rich, but I don't care because it's more important that people read this. It's very, very important stuff and it's utterly accessible. You should read it to your kids when they go to bed at night. Related to that, the Eighth Commandment, talk about
0: thou shalt not steal. There's a relation to property rights there that I think is, is, is missed. And when I, was, when I was reading the book, I was thinking to myself, if I was a, if I was an atheist libertarian, of which there are a decent percentage, I would imagine, All of the principles that libertarianism embodies when it comes to property rights, individual liberty, the non-aggression principle. You know, Matt Kibbe wrote a book, Don't Hurt People, Don't Take Their Stuff. Well, they melded perfectly. So if I am an atheist, why should I read
1: your book? Well, this is the best code for making a world, even if you're an atheist. Now, I would challenge the atheist and saying, look, there are no moral facts if there is no God. An atheist can acknowledge that. You know, it's, we live in a strange world where we think that intellectual truth is only true, only exists if it comports with your reality. Why wouldn't any intellectually honest atheist acknowledge, as the professor I debated at Oxford many years ago, professor, an atheist moral philosopher, said Dennis Prager is right, if there is no God, all ethics are subjective. That's all I'm asking the atheist to acknowledge. And I know they're a good atheist, and I know they're a bad religious people. That, that, that's that's a separate issue. But this is a brilliant guide, the Ten Commandments, even if you don't believe in God. However, I have to be honest to the text. It, the, the sentence before it opens is, and God spoke all of these words. And by the way, they're all addressed to the singular. Because you can't do good. On a massive level, good is only achievable one by one by one. Evil has a great advantage over good. One pilot can slaughter 159 people, but there is almost no one on earth who can save 149 lives. Evil has the advantage. One can do massive evil, almost no one can do massive good good is achieved, you don't steal. Now, isn't it interesting? It's all in the singular. You don't know that because Hebrew doesn't have a plural you, but Hebrew does. It's all you honor your parents, you don't steal, you don't commit adultery, in the singular. You talk
0: about, and it was a perfect transition into the, the last question I wanted to ask, You talk about evil having the advantage over good. There's an asymmetric benefit, I guess, if you are an enemy of America, an enemy of Western civilization, because you can take advantage of all of the freedoms built into our system. So if I were to play devil's advocate, if you were to rank all of the countries according to their commitment to the values of the Ten Commandments, I think today the results would be pretty interesting. All of the countries that are antithetical in their systems, political systems in their cultures, to the Ten Commandments are ascendant. China's ascendant, Russia's ascendant. The Arab countries and Iran are ascendant. So, under, or at least the terrorist groups there are ascendant. So understanding that, what are we to make of a situation where all of those who turn on the Ten Commandments are
1: ascendant and everyone else is losing? That we are bequeathing to our children uh, moral chaos and if uh, if our children and grandchildren hate the baby boomer generation uh, after we're gone they have every right to we are without question the stupidest generation in American history and part of there are two big reasons for that there are many big reasons two of the biggest are television and college college makes you morally stupid some people survive that uh, some people will, grow up by 50 or 60, but uh, that is the, the purpose of college, is to make you a moral idiot. And it's successful. Uh, people, they, they, they don't understand the difference between murder and killing. When I wrote a piece for the Los Angeles Times, there was, there was moral killing. You should have read the letters from, uh, from academics and from people who had graduated college and graduate school. They were so morally stupid that uh, you had to learn it In other words, a guy who only went to high school would say, of course this guy's right. Sometimes it's moral to kill. But if you go to graduate school in the liberal arts, it's a morally confusing idea that killing may be moral. So uh, we have bequeathed to them. You know, when I speak to college kids, the, the first thing I say is I want to thank you on behalf of my generation for taking on our debts. You are truly the most generous generation in American history. Thanks a million. Uh, actually, thanks a trillion, and that's uh, th- then uh, the moral chaos. Uh, the experimentation with kids now. Look, if you know, if a kid at uh, six feels that he's a girl, then he he goes to the girls' room. That you know, it's it's experimentation. It's not better to have a mom and dad. It's, it's so long as parents are loving. But uh, you know, I was I was asked uh, by I'm asked all the time when I debate this issue. Well, Dennis, would you prefer a loving gay couple or a dysfunctional, abusive heterosexual couple? Of course, the answer is a loving gay couple. But the uh, but, but it, it, the, the question is meaningless. Would I'll ask this one: Would you prefer a loving um, a, a loving orphanage to a dysfunctional, abusive gay couple? They would say a loving orphanage. So is that the case for orphanages? The question is, but it sounds to people like it's profound.
0: What's interesting about it, of course, is that amorality that you get in higher levels of education, quote unquote, that's held as preeminent. That's held as the the best belief system. So they don't realize that in their argument that there is no, there are no absolute truths. Well, they're, they're arguing that they yes, have the absolute when I, truth. When I was at Columbia
1: Graduate School, this was what uh, I'm sorry for you, by the way, that you were there. Well, you had more time. You went undergraduate, so I feel sorry for you. It, it's, a, it's, a, it's actually a, a, a... It's not a good place. I'm sorry to say. It's painful. Very painful. It isn't a good place. When, uh, they invited uh, the... Invited Ahmadinejad of Iran, got a courteous but welcome. If they invited Netanyahu, he would have been hissed and heckled and screamed at. That, that that's well that's true for Colombia and most other colonies. Uh, but there was a story I didn't want to tell you. Oh yes, about your absolutes. So this is what happened in Colombia. I would be taught in class A, all morality is relative. And then either the same professor or another one would say the war in Vietnam is immoral. <laughs> and I, I remember thinking, hmm? And sometimes, hmm, Do they actually hear what they say? There was a, a, I grew up with a lot of aphorisms, since I grew up in a, in a Jewish religious school called Yeshiva. But every aphorism shaped my life, every single one. I should write a little book on these great aphorisms. You may be acquainted with some of them, but one of them was I'll never forget, it was a great I'll say it in Hebrew because that's how I learned it. Your ears should hear what your mouth says. This, one of the great sayings. And I thought, do these professors' ears hear what their mouth is saying? If if morality is all relative. And subjective, how do you declare the war in in Vietnam immoral? Sadly, some of those professors probably went to yeshiva too. No, I don't think almost any went to yeshiva. I have to say that on behalf of, of that. I'm not orthodox, but I but I have a pro uh, it's like evangelicals of the of the hope in, in Christianity and Orthodox of the Hope in Judaism, but whatever my, my halakhic uh misgivings. Uh, but which is Jewish law? Well, that's, that's an intra-Jewish debate. But, but I would say, the the great majority of Jews who adopt the moral relativism view are are secular, are not are not religious.
0: The name of the book is The Ten Commandments. Still, the best moral code. And we've been speaking with Dennis Prager today. Dennis, thanks so much for speaking with
1: us. Ben, you're good. Thank you.
0: For more on this and other books, you can visit The Blaze Books at www.theblaze.com books and follow us on Facebook at facebook.com slash theblazebooks and Twitter at The Blaze Books. You can follow me on Twitter at bhwinegarden.